Hello and welcome to the Tuba People TV podcast. On this episode, we hear from Vincent Pinzarella about a serious accident to his amateur that Jacobs helped him to recover from. Enjoy. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Tuba People TV, where we talk about Arnold Jacobs all of the time. Puddles and I are here with uh, Vincent Pinzarella on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in his lovely studio. It's great to uh, great to be here. Um, we, we, Emily and I went the wrong way on, on 149th Street, so it took us a few minutes actually. <laughs> well, I'm you know, honored. I'm honored that you have me participating. It's well, such a wonderful thing for if Mr. You, Jacobs. If you don't this know, is, uh, this is great, Mr. Pezzarella. He's uh, uh, been with the uh, Fifth Army Band, the North Carolina Symphony, the Baltimore Symphony, uh, Radio City Music Hall Orchestra. Well, the way I put it, when I came to New York. I, I basically was uh, freelancing, and uh, the first steady job I had was uh, Radio City. And uh, met a lot of people, and it branched out where yeah. I started working at the Lincoln Center. And I always say it this way, I started doing the ballet and opera, uh, thanks to John Ware, who introduced me to other people. And uh, I started working the ballet and opera at the State Theater, and then... Uh, some more freelancing, and then I went to the Metropolitan Opera, yeah. and uh, then was uh, I took an audition for the Philharmonic and took the Philharmonic. So I actually worked the three major buildings at Lincoln Center and Alamo on the street. <laughs> on the street, but not homeless. <laughs> right, not a home, not homeless. Right. And you had studies with uh, Arnold Jacobs. Yes. Do you recall uh, uh, that the first time that you uh, met Jake, or the first lesson, or some well, lessons? The first lesson I had with Mr. Jacobs was late 1958 on 38 South Normal Street, south side of Chicago, and I had called him earlier and mentioned. Uh, why I wanted to come there, and uh, he knew my name from having heard me uh, play as a soloist with the Fifth Army Band, or perhaps on broadcast with the Baltimore Symphony. So I explained to him what had happened, and uh, he said, well, can you come early next week? So I, I went there, and my first lesson, uh, I was badly injured in an automobile accident, and I couldn't play. And he took out a biology slide and put it under my upper lip, where I didn't have many teeth also at the time. And he said, oh, he tapped over his shoulder, oh, with that tuba-sounding voice, I'll have you playing in no time at all. Well, that made me feel good, but... It gave you hope. It gave me hope, yeah. It really gave me a lot of hope. And uh, for the next 13 months, it was not very pleasant for me. And Mr. Jacobs, during that time, was unbelievably tolerant, considerate, encouraging. I can't say enough good words about how he brought me back from this accident. I, he brought me back from the dead. I mean, I, he just saved my life. And it, it took a while, but he did it. I couldn't have done it without him. And this was 19... 1958. 58. 58. Okay. 58. Yeah. And I left, I left there in the spring of... 62, 1962, and I was a different person in 1962. 
But during those the years that I spent with Mr. Jacobs and occasionally with Mr. Herseth, uh, it was on a weekly basis with uh, Mr. Jacobs, that for the first 13 months, I could not make a sound. It was just, my problem was psychosomatic. I felt pain in my lip where there was no pain. It was just in my brain. From the, related to the accident. Related to the accident. And uh, at times, he seemed to be beside himself. But what he always did was he'd have me sing something. And he put out some music and I would sing it. But when I picked up the instrument, I was like, Jekyll and Hyde. When I sang, it was one way, and when I picked up the instrument, I was definitely Mr. Hyde, you know. And for that 13 months, I was an angry, frustrated, feeling sorry for myself kind of guy. And uh, I remember him, I, at that time, uh, I wasn't not permitted to tape. He wouldn't have me tape any lessons. And I guess around that time, I wasn't familiar with Mr. Jacobs' teachings. I was introduced to him by a wonderful trombone player who was a former, formerly with the uh, Lyric Opera, who played principal trombone, I think of artist Marta Rosian. And he introduced me to the Chicago School of Playing through this, having studied with Mr. Jacobs for quite a while. And I saw the value of that. So after I had the accident and I was able to walk again and, and you know, amble about, whatever. That's when I called Mr. Jacobs and he explained to him and he was very enthusiastic about taking me on. And that's, I think, one of the words that really come to my mind was his enthusiasm and encouragement that no matter how I went in there, it was like, to him, I was like the finest player ever. And to me, my claim to fame has always been and proud to say it, I was the worst state student Mr. Jacobs ever had. And uh, I remember specifically one evening in New York, years later, sitting at the kitchen table with John Faddis and Lou Soloff. And we were talking about uh, Mr. Jacobs, and I and I mentioned this about being the worst student he ever had. And he said, oh, no, positive. I said, look, if we call him right now, he won't even hesitate. And he'd say, Vince Benzerola, for sure. So I got on the extension phone and Lou called him and said, Mr. Jacobs, we have to agree to anything. Lou said, who would you consider the worst student you ever had? And, and there was like a long pause. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you now. I was, uh, there was this one fellow had a spot on his lung and we discovered that he had a, a slight touch of cancer there and I, I cured that one. And then there was this other phone. I said, Mr. Jacobs, you're letting go. He said, was that you, Penzarella? <laughs> yeah, you were pretty bad, too. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he was a remarkable, a remarkable person. And the words song and wind, no matter what he did with the, resp uh, the respirators or the bag that I worked or the tubes that he put me on and you know, with these coffee urns going up and down when you breathe into them. It was always music first. And he could be in another part of the basement. And I, when I started to play, you could hear him yell, doesn't sound to me like you're listening. You know, listen up in that brain, listen up in that brain. You're at the bell, you know. And he could really tell, and I used to think, how could he tell that I was criticizing? 
rather than creating. Mm -hmm. And it was a mystery to me because I had no idea what he was talking about. And I remember prior to the accident, all I knew how to do was sing Do Re Mi and pick up the trumpet and sing Do Re Mi on the trumpet. So I had I never knew, I couldn't make the connection until he gave me the respiratory bag. It was a Roush five liter respiratory bag. And I would start fantasizing and I could, I could hear everything I wanted. I started hearing the way I wanted the trumpet to sound all of a sudden for the first time that I realized I was having fun. And when I picked up the trumpet, it was not fun. And I would describe it like, later on when I started the playing, it was like I had my best friend Tommy Trumpet going to a playground to have a good time. Mm -hmm. When I was having the rough time, it was like I was fighting a gladiator in the Roman Colosseum who was killing me. That's what a trumpet was. It was killing me in that Colosseum. So somehow I had to find a way to break out of that. And by the continual fantasizing and his encouragement that no matter how good or bad I sounded at the first part of that lesson, I always came out sounding better. And one of the things that I learned, which were many, was I didn't realize that I always had another problem a present negative until he pointed out to me that you realize six months ago you wouldn't have had this problem, you know? So you have to look back, see how far you've come to be able to enjoy the present negative. And it was the way he would word things that make it sound like, wow, this man is right again, you know? And what can I say? I mean, I can hear him listening to everything I'm saying now. and. There were so many wonderful things that he said to me as an example when I started playing what I thought was pretty good for me. I'd say he'd look at me and he'd go, oh, and he'd have that little chuckle down there. You know, Vincent, you could be one of the finest players in this country with a long pause. And that was really the first time I had gotten any kind of really good compliment, you know. And I was going up in this hot air balloon and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, if only you had my brain. <laughs> which you know the balloon came down really fast you know but th there were other times and uh, he, you know, he would say I'd play something and he said that was excellent you should hear Bud do it you know <laughs> so he had that way of he knew that I was very competitive within myself mm -hmm. and he'd say you have to keep it that way no matter he'd say if you're playing great hear it better if you're playing lousy, so you only have one, stay on track, hear it better. And everything was musically motivated, no matter what people talk about in terms of what he did respiratory-wise or had you breathing, no matter what it was, it was always music first. And at that time, it was 90% mental, 9% air, maybe 1% lip. Whereas when I went to him, it was 100% lip, no brain. That's what you were thinking when you were. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was all about the lip, you know, and I was a, a critic. I was a critic. Um, music left me. There was no music. There was no joy. You were always critiquing yourself while uh, you were doing Oh, that. yeah. And, you know, when he first made the statement, you know, the human brain can't create and criticize at the same time, I thought, 
how am I supposed to advance, you know? And he always said to me, Vincent, you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. And like a typical Italian, I was like, how am I supposed to get it? How am I supposed to, if I don't try, I'm well, you Italians, you're all so temperamental. You must be calm and cool and collected like me. <laughs> you know, and I think, oh man, here we go again. But amazing. What he did with me was amazing. And I always relate that story about one of the finest trumpet players, if only you had that brain. Yeah. And I, I always look at the picture on the wall of him and say, he's probably laughing right now when he hears me saying that, yeah. you know? You know, uh, about the breathing bag, what what was it that you were doing with the breathing bag? If you could tell our viewers what that... Well, he, he gave me several exercises to do where I, as I would, uh, I would blow out air first for one breath and then take a breath and then do three counts out. Now I think he has... Um, where you actually count with your fingers. Yeah. At that time, there was no counting with your fingers. It would just take a breath and blow three counts on the bag, and you would hear this yawn effect, like this kind of thing, which initiated a very open throat, and he'd have me thinking, ho in and ho out. And since you brought that up, I couldn't even say, I was so tight, that I couldn't say, ho. I would say, to. So, mm -hmm. and it, it took me a long time to be able to go, po, and he'd say, oh, po, and i go, oh, po, to. So my tongue was very sluggish, and I was playing so much, so tight, that one day he fell under my chin, and he said, oh my God, and I said, what? He said, it feels like you have a bag of marbles from stress tension, I had broken all the blood vessels under the chin area, which comes from pushing the tongue against the bottom teeth, creating all that oral pressure. And what the bag did was to relieve with time. The muscles had to relearn in a sense through singing music and going and breathing and playing that way versus a, 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 a a string of air versus what I call it the tidal wave of the air. And that was stimulating greater area of my lip. And all of a sudden, uh, one day it happened. And I remember uh, he asked me to play Ave Maria. And that was the first song I learned how to play on the trumpet. And my teacher in South Philadelphia always had me play songs to warm up rather than Schlossberg because it would, it would stimulate my mind. But I didn't know that at the time. I would just do what he said. And when I played it, Jake said, my God, that was beautiful. To this day, I don't remember playing it. On the other hand, there was a time he said he punched me in the stomach while I was playing, and I don't remember that happening either. Wow. I was that tight. I was that rigid. And there were various times like he would I, I didn't get what he was trying to me, trying to get me to do in terms of breathing properly and he had me doing exercises bending over while I was playing and doing all sorts of uh, acrobatics so that I would start a note standing up and it would be tight and as I bent over he would say the anterior oblique muscles were like this big X across the front of your body and that was immobilizing the abdominal muscles and all the intercostal muscles and I was saying, what are you talking about, you know? But 
I could hear the difference in sound. I said, oh, you know, it's going to look funny on stage bending over all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so he gave me about three or four of these exercises to do that over time gave me the courage. And he would always, I remember one of the first things he said, that I must sit in a standing position. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, do you have a preference for any play? I said, yeah, well, yes, yeah, standing. So the way I saw it later was there should not have been any preference. It should be the proper uh, way of sitting. Anyway, there were many things that I did that were wrong that eventually he straightened out for me, you know, through trial and error, trial and repetition. And he'd say, don't try to fix what you're doing wrong. Reaffirm or reassert in your mind what is right and what you would like it to sound like. And he gave me various ways of doing this. He'd say, you have to pretend as if you have to become the actor who has to, who can play many different roles. You have to believe in what you're doing because that'll help you with the colors, like Ravel one way and Shostakovich another way. You just have to listen and listen as a listener in your mind who's enjoying what they're listening to. And I find that that is a very difficult thing for young people to do today. And I think a lot of that is missing because of technology and things being done for them rather than studying music and learning. So the one thing that I think Jake taught me to understand was that my very first teacher had to be the music and the second teacher had to be my brain to work with the students of my body so that they could coordinate. And the third teacher is the one that never lies called the tape recorder. And if you use those, I remember him saying, if you use those three properly, you'll never have problems in the future. So I try to explain this to, to uh, people that I work with, and they don't seem to get it. You know, it's like when you start talking about the mind and how, you, how well your mind works and in coordination with your body, no, it's, they're so involved with the lip. And I can understand that because I went through it myself. And I think until you have someone like Mr. Jacobs who can make get you to the right place in your brain, change your thinking, then your body becomes more cooperative in what the brain wants it to do. And I think with his incredible knowledge, he was just not someone who was involved with what happens from a respiratory thing, but he knew what was going on with that mind. He knew how to diagnose anyone that walked in that studio of his, whether it was on Michigan Avenue, I believe that's where he had his uh, studio, or his home on South Normal Street, and I was there. He could tell. The moment you walked in, you didn't have to say anything. He just sensed it, which was a great ability. And I will never forget what he's done for me. And I mention his name incessantly to people. You know, he just... Was a godsend for me. Yeah, you know. Vince, I'm wondering uh, if you've uh, encountered this with uh, some of your students, uh, just with this this whole notion of uh, uh, a lot of pressure and uh, uh, breathing that's a little bit on the on the tighter side, inhalation, that sort of thing. I would say 99% are working much harder than they have to because of excessive pressure that's not needed, and it, it's hard for me to explain to them that. 
we, we try to eliminate as much uh, air pressure as we can and have airflow rate, you know, and I try to make them understand through sound and the, the sound that they make when they make a sound like which is a real E quality that they're building up pressure inward and that's going to be amplified even more on the out. The other one that I hear is which is also a false sense of, of intake of air which is built up of pressure in your body versus oh so I'll have them say ho and think Po and and there's a big difference. You can see how their body expands with the amount of air they take in. And I would say two out of three get it immediately. Mm -hmm. And but to have them perpetuated is another thing because the bad habits far exceed the good ones, and they have to have that repetitive. So I say, don't go for what you feel. Go for the sound that creates the right feel. And once you understand what that feel is that's private to you that you will take the right breath yeah so so uh, uh go for the sound and then and then if you need to examine the field based upon the sound right because so many things happen with young players when you get them to start playing uh, uh pretty uh, pretty good with first or second lesson they start going for the feel rather than what got them there they go for the effect rather than the cause so it's that sound that they, they eliminate. Now, one of the things that Mr. Jacobs had me do all the time was to sing what was on the page. And I find that is a big problem with kids today. They have no real relationship with the music on the page other than how they hear someone else play it, which I think that's involuntary cloning. Mm -hmm. Because the person that they hear can sing what's there. It sounds like they're singing. I think when we hear a good singer on the trumpet, it says, Jesus sounds like he's singing. You know? So I think it's important for anyone, no matter what area they are in on their instrument, to sing the music first because there are days where it's cloudy and it's days where it's bright without any clouds and you you should be able to as an individual know where you are and what you have to do to stimulate yourself so that it's a clear day. So that that sound in your mind, uh, the recall of that sound is like recalling a parent's a, a voice or what they look like. And I say to students, can you hear what you want and see what you want as well as you can see a parent's face? And if I say you think of a parent, they see the face and they hear the voice. And they can hear the voice in any manner that they've experienced it. Mm -hmm. So I, that's the way I feel about music, that they should be able to hear the way they want their trumpet to sound as easily as they have recall of a parent. Mm -hmm. And they look at me like I'm insane. So you know, there's so many variables that go with students. And I, I pulled one out of the hat with Mr. Jacobs. And one of the things he said when I, I was having a bad day, after I was playing, he said, well, get it out of your system. Play it, play it as badly as you can. I said, this man is a madman. What is he talking about? Play it as badly as I can. And I tried to. He said, no, I can understand. I, I can hear what you're trying to do. You don't, you don't have to understand. You don't, you, shall I say it in English this time? Play it as badly as you can. I said, I can't play it as badly. I can't. I don't know how. He said, well, why aren't you, why aren't you thinking beautifully, man? So I do that, you know, I, I've, I've stolen so much
from Mr. Jenkins because he branded me that I had to perpetuate so much, 100% of what concepts I can remember that he branded me with that I have to pass on. I feel that's what I have to do. I have to pass that on and hopefully one out of a hundred will get it and pass it on. Yeah. You know? Well, what about this this whole notion with uh, high-res players of taking a breath? I, I know that uh, if I mention this to maybe a, a trumpet player that will come to my studio wanting to know more about breathing or something, and, and I'll, I'll, they'll say, well, when I take that much air, it feels uncomfortable because it's just sitting there. What, what is that? Well, I, I, think, I, I think innately or instinctively, if we study the music, we can see many different ways that we can play the phrase, and I think I think or or sing the phrase, I should say. And sometimes you're going to know that you have good days physically and you have bad days physically, and over a period of time you learn what you have to do. So I I, I think that if you're really involved in the music, and about if, if I'm going to play, um, Zarathustra say the big four I call it the C octave, that I'm going to take the kind of breath where I'm going to play a very solid third space C and leave it up to my mind to hear where that relative octave should be. And I know if I can hear that, that with practice, I'm going to attain it physically. But it's do I stay in the right place mentally? And that's where Mr. Jacobs did for me. He, he, he made me find my own way mentally. And I think that's what anyone who, I see, I see Mr. Jacobs not so much as a teacher. I see him as an extraordinary, extraordinary, exemplary provider of information. He knew what to go, what to go, where to go to, and how to get to that person. And he did it in such a way that either you were able to absorb it mentally. Mm-hmm. So that you go home and teach yourself how to do it. Yeah. But that's what he, I see him as an incredible provider of information that stays with you forever. And, you know, I see myself as a poor imitation of what he's done. So to get, you know, to the point where you were saying with the, the person, I'd say, now, you, you, in order to, I think the most important thing is the, the five points that he had for breathing was, the first thing word that he used was weakness. The second thing was he said you have to breathe in order to expand. Don't expand to breathe. Mm-hmm. And he got, then the next thing was that the end of your inhalation is the start of your exhalation with the least amount of hesitation. And go from there. Now what he's saying is like basically it's like a dance band. They were one, two, one, two, three, breathe, play. So how much of the hesitation is there? So there was musical involvement, but most people don't see it that way. They say, oh, that's just a step, and they'll they'll be watching what they do instead of getting involved with the music, which he was trying to get you to do. So before you start a note, what do you want the note to sound like? What's the characteristic of that sound? Is it forte? Is it piano? What's the subdivision that you're going to encounter within that first note? So many ingredients to make the good cake taste well, you know, that kind of thing. And some days, some of that's lacking. So he w- would say to me, what, when you're having a problem, look at the music. 
what don't you see well enough or hear well enough because it's that process you have to see it well enough to get it to your ear well enough which a lot of people don't allow that to happen so it can't get to the brain for the brain to coordinate all the things like with the rhythm and the sound and your tongue and the air to work as a finely tuned team and that's what a herset had going that's what the great players had going and when you hear Mr. Jacobs demonstrate, or you hear these great players demonstrate, it's the love of music, the love of what they're doing in their mind, you know, with, without fear of criticism. And I think that's a thing that stands out. They're afraid, and people are afraid to express themselves. Mm. You know, you, you had a time in Chicago where you studied with Mr. Jacobs and Mr. Ursa right. at the same time. Can you compare and contrast that experience with those two men? I would say uh, they were both they were both great. It's obvious. Uh, Mr. Jacobs was here's everything that I have for you. I hope you can take it. I hope you can feed off of it. You know. My first lesson with Herseth was very interesting. Uh, this one I could play a little bit, and when I first went to him. I this is after your accident. Yeah, well, I, was, I, was, I was able to play a C-scaler, so, okay. you know. okay. Anyway, I went to him and I said, I was saying, you know, Mr. Ursus, I've heard, I've admired your playing for so much. I said, you remind me of a singer when you play. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, not a trumpet player. I said, no, you remind me of UC Girling when you play. Especially. That was his favorite singer. I know. So, uh, I, my, my wow. cousin was Mario Lanza, so I was into singers. I've listened, I've listened, I've listened to a lot of singers. I mean, he used to do serenades for my aunts before they, night they got married. But I, you see, Girling, the lyrical planning, I mean, the lyrical singing, but her Seth, okay? That's just like, um, so I said, you know, and he said, really? He said, uh, what singer? I said, oh, obviously, you see Burling. I said, there's a similarity in your sound with the way he sang, you know. And he said, oh, you really think so, huh? And I said, yeah, and he took me over to Academy and that was all you see Burling's recordings. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know. Wow, you nailed it. You know, so wow. not only, you know, it's like, uh, I, I like, and, you know, I think when you think dramatically, I say, think, think Franco Corrali, or you're thinking, uh, lyrically, think UC Berling or, or think uh, Giuseppe Di Stefano or something like that. And I was weaned with uh, singers in South Philadelphia. The shoemakers always had opera going, the, the tailor shops always, always going. So it was that. And, you know, Arnold Jacobs was quite a singer, yeah. you know, and he told me the tale where he, had, he literally sang the bead blow through the mouthpiece. Really? Yeah. I don't know this story. Yeah. yeah. He, he actually sang it. The Reiner told me how to sing it, so <laughs> he had a great voice, you know. And I understand Mr. Herseth. Well, Mr. Herseth was uh, a little more sheltered in his his, his approach to, to things. Not quite know? as open. Maybe. Yeah, not quite as open as Mr. Jacobs, but. I remember a specific lesson. It was probably the shortest lesson I ever had in my life for the price I was paying. It was, you know, in those days, it was a lot of money. Anyway, uh, it was the Charlie A number two, and I, uh, I tried to sing the best I could on a trumpet. He said, Oh, that was very good. Now maybe you want to think about doing it this way. And of course, after he 
sang it on his trumpet. I felt like I was back in kindergarten, you know? So I went home. It was midwinter. I went home, and all I could hear was Herces playing it. Man, I sounded fantastic. It was great for four days. The fifth day was like a blanket over my head. Blank. Not only couldn't I hear him, but I had no way I had to play it myself. So I was very upset. Went for my next lesson, and it was snow on the ground. He was out there shoveling. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we went inside, and so he said, Oh, you don't look very happy this morning. And I said, Well, you know, I said, Would you do me a favor? I said, Would you play the Charlier number two again? He said, All right. So he picked up his trumpet. He, 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 had, he had warmed up earlier that morning, he told me. But we went in, we weren't inside one ten, and he picked up and just sounded like Gabriel can down to earth. And, and I thought, My God, you know, and it just it triggered the way he sounded last week. And I kind of made a face. I said, is there something wrong? And I said, I said, my God, I said, as soon as you started playing, it, I can remember what you sounded like last week, but you didn't play it anything like that today. He said, of course not. I'm a different person. He said, that's your lesson. Give me the money. <laughs> and I, it was like a five-minute lesson. <laughs> it was well worth it because I... Why play it the way you played it a week ago? You know, it's all so it was new. It was interpreted differently, but same same beautiful sound. You know, and I remember another lesson that he, I had with him. He'd say, "How slowly can you play Parsifal?" So uh, I think I played three notes really long. He says, "That's as slow as you can play it." He said, "Breathe as often as you have to, but I want you to really play it slowly." So that's pretty. What's he doing? You know, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And, uh, I got enough four notes. He says, that the slowest you can play it. He said, I've yet to meet anyone who can play slower than me. He said, you get it? I said, why, why play that slow? Because he, you know, I, one of the five, as far as he saw one sound like another sound, it was just equal and relative. He didn't think high, he didn't think low as a sound. And it had to just fit, you know? And I think, well, you're playing that slow. You really have to be involved with sound in your mind that you're totally devoid of the bell. And that's why everything was so easy for him and such breath control. So I think, you know, lessons like that, to get back to your original thing, I think in studying the music, uh, there are several places I can think of uh, uh, making it sound musical at the beginning of UNESCO's legend. A lot of people like to play a long phrase, and if, if you study that music, there's a lot of ways you can play that long phrase and still make it sound musical. And I think you decide on what that phrase is going to be and you breathe accordingly. But I think your body is a lot more relaxed if your brain is relaxed. And it's not going to be if your brain isn't. So I think what singing does, and one of the greatest things that Mr. Jacobs brought to me, was he allowed my, my mind to get involved to the point where my body would start to be the mirror image of that. And it was up to me to, to see where I was mentally on every given day, because that was the one steady thing I had to have in mind, was that recall pattern of the music. It didn't have to be played the same way, but I had to have that clarity of sound and, and what I wanted what I wanted to 
uh, project, yeah. that kind of thing. And one of the best things was listen as a listener, enjoying what they're listening to up in the auditorium of your own mind. Too. That's just, I try to say that today. People look at me like, you feel all right? Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'll have to say, well, I'll say it in English this time, you know, because I think technology has ruined a lot of ability for people to fantasize and to pretend as if, which I think is a great art. Vince, you, you, you played uh, um, in the Philharmonic, played second trumpet with uh, uh, Bill Smith. What was that? Uh, what, how did you consider your role? Because you've played principal quite a bit. Right. right. I, I think uh, playing second in Philharmonic was the first time in my life that I ever played second on a, on a steady job. Um, I think with my, my experience of having played principal in other places, that I, I used to sense there was a lot of competition in New York, and I think you could sense people competing with one another when you were sitting the first year. Whether they liked you the way you played or whatever, I could always sense that kind of pressure in the air. And I felt when I went to the Philharmonic um, to fulfill a childhood dream, which was to play in the orchestra with Johnny Ware, uh, and which I played with for 11 years. That was a, a dream at the age of 12 that was fulfilled. When I got there, my the thought was that I was a first trumpet player who was going to, I was going to be John Ware playing second trumpet to John Ware. And at that time, there were co-principals, Mr. Ware with uh, Phil Smith. And when I played second with Phil, I felt like I had to be Phil Smith playing second trumpet to Phil Smith. So I saw, I, I, for me, to attain anonymity was the best thing that I could do. It, it, I saw the Philharmonic trumpet section as a football team. That principal was the quarterback, and you had to protect that quarterback, and we were the line. And whether Johnny was there, or Carmen was playing, or I was playing, no matter who it was, those principals had to be taken care of. You had to block for them all the time. So I enjoyed the role of anonymity. Except when I had to play a solo, I thought, what do I do now? I can't be Johnny, I can't be Phil. Oh my God, what am I going to do, you know? But, uh, you know, you managed to get through it, you know? So, uh, it, it was fun. Uh, Phil was one of the greatest guys you could play with. We, I don't think we ever rehearsed more than three things together. It was always like, or when I was with John, it was the same way. It was like there were two wonderful players sitting between the first and second chair that we were both listening to and being cooperative to those two players. That's the best way I could describe it. And I remember a couple of times I'd be listening to what Phil or John would play, and I start playing the first part. And then I said, oh, you sound really good tonight. You know, <laughs> so I remember uh, a couple of times Phil would start playing my part. And that's, I mean, that's how we used to listen as a team. And it was it was great. It was great, you know. And I was uh, sorry to leave, but you know, Father Time catches up to everyone, you know. So yeah, I left when I thought I was still doing it okay, and there were other things I wanted to do in my life, you know. And uh, that's great. I did that, you know. So. It seems like uh, just the if I could uh, summarize the big picture that you had with Mr. Jacobs. Um, and you came to him after a period of intense trauma, <laughs> intense trauma, the accidents, mm -hmm. and all that followed that. Um, 
not being able to play, being a body cast, being unconscious, the accident, all these things that just bring bring back. And um, off camera, before we uh, started rolling, this uh, uh, talked about how he was just starting to have an emotional, oh, yeah. visceral emotional reaction just <laughs> thinking back those days. But what he did for you, what Jacobs did for you, was to first of all give you hope. He brought me back to life. Get you, yeah. He resuscitated, give you, give you some, put you at ease, and he got you to um, imitate, to to have the the player in the mind, the trumpet in the mind, yeah. really be the focus, not the trumpet in the hand. Well, he he got me away from thinking about myself in the physical world, but to become something. Uh, one of the things I he taught me to do was when I was having a bad time, he'd say, "What would Bud sound like playing it?" So I'd be listening to Bud, and you never expect to hear him miss anything or sound bad, you know? So it got to the point where, uh, okay, I, I loved her set, but I never had a favorite trumpet player. It was like an all-star team for me. I had her set, I had Harry James, I had Rafael Mendez, I had Johnny Ware, I had Roger Voisin, and I heard Roger Magier, and for certain pieces, I, I'd be practicing. Oh, this Bolero, that's Roger Magier, uh, that's Roger Voisin. You know, Festo Roman, oh, that's, that's Harry Glantz, you know. So there was always someone that could play for me. So when I go to auditions, I took all of those orchestras with me. I didn't want to be alone on the stage. This is one of the things that Jacobs taught me. And to, to make use of that. So it helped color, it helped style, it helped all kinds of things. And Vince Pensarello didn't have to do anything except just open the case and pick up the trumpet, you know, that kind of thing. So. It was, you know, I always had, after meeting Mr. Jacobs, he taught me how to once again have fun. And it was fun making mistakes, too, yeah. that I could learn from it, you know. And that attitude stayed with me. And I say it to, st to students today, are you, having, are you having fun messing up? Because you should. You'll have an opportunity to do something that millions of people around the world that would like that opportunity never have it. Yeah. You know... In the digital age we in which we live, uh, on perfect recordings, uh, the standard is so high that uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard for the for students today. They have the standard of perfection in the real in the here and now in the real world versus the the standard that they hear on their recordings, which they try to then apply to the real world. Well, I I think that's uh, Jake would always say, say you know you have to allow yourself a pull of mistakes, which is basically what you're. Oh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think in order to play, I think, in the high 90 percentiles, you have to be thinking 1,000%. You can't, when you, the point is, when you, when you, I know if you studied solfeggio like I did, every time I get to start to sing, I don't expect to make a mistake. I expect to hear what I want the trumpet to sound like. Right. Now, is the attitude the same when you pick up the microphone called the trumpet? I think with most people, it's not. There's fear of... Criticism and fear of making mistakes. You can't have that fear. Now, you know, I look around me and I see what's going on in the world and I see the big mistakes leaders are making. I think, hey, you know, think about what you're doing and think about what these people are doing around the world and I'm going to worry about a couple of tuka tubes? I don't think so. Right. I'm going to have a good time doing what I'm doing. If you don't like it, fine. If you, you know, so I see people, when you go to Notes. Notes don't matter. My first teacher said it. Mr. Jacobs said it. Mr. Hurst said it. You go for music, 
you'll get the notes. If you go for notes, you're never going to get music, and that's what they do. They count notes. Conductors today count notes. I don't hear them singing like they used to when I was in Baltimore, and I saw the conductors going this way to today. Then when they wanted something, they sang what they wanted. You could hear what they wanted, and that's the way to incite a musician, not giving a soliloquy for five minutes, you know? So I think, you know, it's... a it's it's the kind of thing that it's 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 all individual. What you do as a musician, very personal, and you have to I think keep your roots as why did you take up the instrument? And I took it up. I didn't think about making a lot of money or being famous or to make people happy. If anything, I wanted to get away from people and put myself into this bubble and try to have as much of a good time uh, expressing myself the way I heard. Mendez do it. People criticized him, mm-hmm. and they criticized Heifetz, and they criticized Rubenstein. And I think, geez, boy, I hope they don't hear me play. So, uh, I think you can't you can't think about mistakes. You can only think about what's right, and percentage. So I look at the car. Car still breaks down, and they have thousands of guys working on it every year. Mm-hmm. So. So it's not a big deal. No, I think, look, as long as you just look at it as fun, you make music, I think what happens today, it takes a long time to fill a job. Because that person, they're all going up there skating on thin ice, playing notes, counting notes, instead of when that guy comes along and makes the music and gets the notes on top of it. Got something. Vince, I was so excited to uh, uh, come in uh, your studio to finally meet you. I've been you've been on my my uh, my list uh, since I started this project a couple of years ago, um, largely because Jake talked about you in his lessons with me, and I, I think it was um, in the context of of the the imitation you know aspect of, of imitation being such a great teaching tool and and learning device, and just. Uh, uh, he would mention in some vagaries, you know, your what you came came back from. And so um, it's really great to meet you and uh, uh, get your get your uh, oh, thoughts and you. memories thank on, you on so Mr. Much. Davis. Thank you. And uh, puddles would like uh, like you to have as a token of our oh. appreciation this genuine University of Oregon um, uh, glassware. Does this take scotch and water? It will take anything you want. Because I'll have a, a, a drink to Mr. Jacobs with this. That sounds good to me. <laughs> it's great. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. To honor Mr. Is. Jacobs anytime. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And now back to you. Yeah.